Are you ready to receive God's Word this morning? You look ready. We're going to open God's Word to Matthew chapter, excuse me, Matthew, Hebrews chapter 4. Forgot it for a minute. That'd be bad. We could go to Matthew too, but, but uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to go. And uh, we're asking the question, what's next as we begin a brand new year, as we take steps? Look, your life's on a journey, right? I mean, we're called to keep moving, to step forward. You have another step to take, and sometimes people get stuck, or sometimes they just kind of sleepwalk through life, but you're meant to, to take that next step. And so what's next in our journey? Because we don't want to settle for less than what God has for us. And so we've been talking about a few things, about how our church was founded and things that still to this day lead us as a church, but it's not just for the church, it's for our lives as well. And last week we talked about this, it'll be on the screen, that God created you on purpose and for a purpose. Like God created you on purpose and for a purpose that you're not here by accident, but God created you and designed you for something special. It says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. When you don't have a vision, you're gonna stumble through life. And God says, I'm, I wanna order the steps of my children. I don't want you stumbling through life. I want to order your steps. We see in Psalm 127, verse 1, we looked at that the very first weekend of the new year, and again, a, a verse that's been a part of our church forever, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. There's two ways to do life. You can do it your way or you can do it God's way. If you do it your way, you're going to be building in vain, but if you build with God, something supernatural happens when I'm connected to God, when I build with him. And I don't want to spend any part of my life wasting my life laboring in vain. And so we've talked about those things. We talked about them in depth. You can catch up online. Everything's online for free. But we've been talking about that. And today I want to, I want to give one more phrase. It's been a part of our church since the very beginning. And if I heard my dad say this once, I heard him say it a thousand times, we are a New Testament church. We are a New Testament church church. And, and you're like, well, what does that mean? It means that we do things according to what it says in the book of Acts, what it says throughout the New Testament. Like if it's in the Bible, that's what we do. We're not part of a denomination. We don't just do things because of tradition. We do things because the Bible tells us to do things. That has been a part of our history, and it's still why we do what we do today. Now, back then, some things in church were a little more controversial than they are today. Like you can go to most churches today and during worship around the world, when, when you worship, you lift your hands. A lot of people lift their hands when they worship. And, but back then, when we first started, that was like a cult thing, right? Like, oh, why were you lifting hands in church? And so we had to have brochures in, lobby, in the lobby, not just for lifting hands, but for everything we did because people would walk through the doors and like, you guys are weird. Like, like now people sing the songs we sing and lift hands. But, but back then we had to have scriptures. We lift holy hands before the Lord. That's one of the postures we have in prayer of lifting hands. And so that idea of lifting hands, that was controversial. 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago, I went to seminary. And there were a lot of seminaries back then that I couldn't get into because of what we believed. And so I finally got into a seminary in Cincinnati. And I, I, I get there and they say, are you one of those churches that raise your hands? And I'm like, yeah, we are, because that's in the Bible, right? But it's not just that the Bible leads what we do as a church. It should lead everything in our life. Write this down. God leads us and speaks to us through his word. 
God leads us and speaks to us through his word. I love God's word. We don't have to guess at what God is thinking. He says, this is what you need to know. This is my heart. This is, this is who I am. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to do. He tells us in his word. He speaks to us through his word. Hebrews chapter 4, if you have your Bibles open. It says in verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, it's living and active, quick and powerful in the King James language. But let's look at it in a more modern day verbiage in the Message Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, in the message says this, God means what he says, what he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. Now look at that, I'll be on the screen for just a moment. He's saying, look, God's word knows you inside and outside. It knows your heart, it knows your actions, it's powerful, you can't hide from God's word. There's nothing like God's word. Saw this on Facebook this week, it'll be on the screen. If you're going to believe everything you read, then start reading the Bible, right? If you're going to believe everything you read, start reading the Bible, and, and here's the question, and the question is, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust God's Word? Right? I mean, and that's, that's the bottom line, and, and it's not just for believers. This is everybody. Like, can I trust the Bible? Because a lot of people think that the Bible is this ancient book, and it's full of all these, you know, myths and fables, and, and, and man wrote it anyway, right? How many of you heard that? Man, man wrote it anyway. And then there's other of us who believe, no, these are God's words to us. Yes, man wrote it, but God inspired it, and it's for us in that if, if you know, life itself, civilization itself, if it doesn't follow God's word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destruct. And, and so which is it? Is it, is it, is it a full of lies or full of truth? Which is it? And if I'm going to base my life on this, I need to know which one it is. Now, I'm going to talk to you today, and I'm not going to try to prove that the Bible is true. I'm just going to talk about the Bible today and before the end, you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. Can I trust my life with God's Word? So I'm going to tell you a few things about the Bible as we go through. First of all, I want to tell you that the Bible is unique. It's unique. It's not like any other book ever written, ancient or modern. It was written over 1,600 years. Think about that, 1,600 years to complete the Bible from beginning to end. Forty different authors, right? 40 different people. You think about different cultures and different backgrounds, different location, different time periods, and they're all writing this. There's various forms of literature inside the Bible, right? There's poetry, and there's history, and there's prophecy, and there's what we call didactic or teaching, and, and all these different things, the, the, the time span, the authors, the, the type of literature, and yet... From beginning to end, it carries a continuity. It begins in a garden and ends in a garden. Jesus shows up, and while he's talked about throughout, he he shows up right there in the middle in the Gospels. And you think about, if it's just man's writing, that would have never happened, right? Over that time period, that many authors, that, that, that crazy of a combination of literature, and yet it carries a continuity. 
It's unique because it is the most widely copied book of all time. I mean, there are billions of copies of the Bible that have been printed. In fact, since the printing press was invented, it's been the best-selling book every single year. It, it doesn't matter. You can have the New York Times bestseller list, but by, there's more Bibles printed and distributed around the world than any other book every single year since the beginning of books like this. I mean, have you ever thought of that before, that, that it's just everywhere? It's the most translated book. And then start to think about this book in the context of uh, governments and kings and emperors and dictators that have tried to wipe this book out, that have tried to destroy every copy they could, it, it, that it's, it survived the harshest persecution. There's no other book like this book. And then you think about it, how when we read it, we never seem to finish it. I, can't, I don't even know how many times I've actually read through the Bible, but I can't seem to finish it. I keep going back. For 30 years, I've stood behind the pulpit and preached God's word here, and if, if I have another 30 years to do, I'll never run out of things to, to go back to. There's other books I like, and I'll reread, but there's nothing like this book. There's nothing like this book. It, it has spoken to my life. It has changed my life. It has changed my relationships, my actions, everything. And one in three people around the world will tell you this book changed their life. So it is unique. It's also accurate. There's plenty of things in the Bible that you can go back and see. Did this happen? Is it true? And you can't do that with other religious writings because other religions have more dreams or visions that people had, and you can't really go back and check dreams and visions, but this has history in it, so we can see, is it accurate what it says? And so I'm going to look at just one passage in Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Icheria and Trachonitis. Licinius was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, the message of God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Okay, that's not really good devotional reading, right? I mean, that's just a lot of names and places, and so Luke tells us that. But Jesus is about to begin his ministry, and Luke is saying, I want you to know exactly, exactly when Jesus started his ministry. And so you look, okay, well, we know Tiberius is emperor, Pontius Pilate is governor, Herod is king, Anna and Caiaphas are high priest, so, and we can go back in time, not through the Bible, but in history, and look back, and we can see in history that there was a person named Jesus who lived and ministered during that time. Like, it's accurate. It's historically accurate. In fact, Nelson Gluck, who's an archaeologist, said this, that it may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference, not even once. That everything we dig up, everything that we find, it, it all matches with this because the Bible is accurate. We have thousands upon thousands of, of manuscripts. We know today, I can tell you, because I've studied this, and, and that, that we have so many manuscripts and even fragments that go back to almost the time of the early church fathers and the apostles writing. And, and what we have today, even in our English Bibles, is so close. It's almost exactly what the apostles wrote back then, because we can just go back and see, were there any changes made? Were, was anything out of place? And we realize that it's, there's a continuity to it. It's accurate. We have what they said. Well, what about the miracles, right? Those miracles can't be accurate. 
and well, the reality is, is that it's recording God's work, and, and here's, here's how this works. If there was a movie that came out on a person, a historical person's life, and somebody watched that movie, everybody, the critics would begin to, to say, yes, that happened, it, that didn't really happen that way, there's some poetic license, there's some story license in that, and so this is what's true in the movie, and this is what's not true. This is just, this has happened in human history since the very beginning that there are multiple accounts of history, and then you have to kind of piece together what actually happened. And so there, there, there's just one truth. And so when it comes to Jesus doing miracles, here's what's interesting. If he did what, like they said, the disciples said, well, Jesus did this and this and this, and he hadn't had done it, somebody would have said, no, he didn't do that. Even Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, realize what he's doing is miracles. They just attribute it to the devil. But they even see that he's doing miracles. And, and so even his enemies don't come against him there. And then in history, not in Bible history, but in Roman history, we can read where they talk about Jesus from Galilee who was a Messiah and a miracle worker. Like no one says, no, he didn't do any of that. No, it's recorded, and no one comes against it. And so we see that, yes, it's accurate what it says about Jesus, what it says about miracles. Here's the real truth. Going back to our Hebrews passage, it's accurate in what it says about you and me. It's accurate in what it says about you and me. I think a lot of people wish the Bible wasn't so accurate. I think that's why they try to push it aside. Because I don't want to hear that I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I don't want to hear that I need a Savior. I, 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 can, make this, I can do this on my own. And, and so we, we, it cuts to the bone. That's what, what Hebrews tells us. No, it's like a surgeon's scalpel that comes in, and it cuts us because it's accurate about our life. The Bible claims to be inspired. The Bible's inspired. Over and over again in the Old Testament, it says, Thus saith the Lord. We even read that today. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You know, the, thus saith the Lord. That's, that's the word of the Lord. It claims to speak for the God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. That's the word inspired. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So God's word is inspired. It says in 2 Timothy 1.21, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but the prophets through humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what the prophets received from God, they shared with us, and it was kept by the Holy Spirit. There's a book, again, just with time today, we don't have time to go into all of this, but there's a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There's a picture of it on the screen. And it was actually written, um, Josh McDowell wanted to disprove Jesus' miracles and resurrection. So he set out to do that. And on his journey, he found out that everything about Jesus was true. And, and now uh, this book has been also, his son is now a part of the writing. So it's an extremely thick book. But if you want evidence for what we believe, we call it apologetics. If you want that, this is a great book to have. And, and so just inside of this book, it talks about prophecy and how Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies. And uh, in Matthew alone, there's over 60 prophecies about Jesus' life, and there's hundreds written in the Old Testament. And so Jesus fulfills all of these prophecies. Now, these prophecies were written hundreds of years, sometimes thousand years, before Jesus was born. They said this is what will happen when the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes. And, and they're written so many years before. 
So here's the thing. If it's just man writing some things down, guessing at some things, there's, that's impossible, right? I mean, to, to fulfill all those, those, those things, I mean, if he just fulfilled, it says if he just fulfilled eight of the hundred prophecies about his life, eight of the hundred prophecies about his life, it's, it, the chances of that are one in ten to the seventeenth power. And this is all explained in the book. That's what mathematicians call a mathematical impossibility. Like, that would never happen. That's just eight, let alone what the entire Old Testament says about Jesus. So if it's just a man-made book, it would never happen, right? Even Jesus on the cross, he, he's doing things on the cross, and, he says, and it says that he did this to fulfill prophecy. Like, everything Jesus did, everything he was, it's all right there. And so he fulfilled every prophecy about the Messiah. What's interesting is that the Bible actually has more prophecy about his second coming than his first coming. And if his first coming happened, we should get ready for his second coming. We should be ready for him to come back because he says, I'm, I'm coming back. And, and so here's the thing. Today, you've you got to make a decision. And again, I'm not here to prove the Bible's true. I'm just telling you some things about the Bible. But, but you've got to say, am I going to lay my life down? Am I going to surrender to God's word? Am, am, am I going to live my life according to this word? We're a New Testament church. That's not changing. You know, we're going to do things according to the Bible. But, but what about you? See, there, this will be on the screen. Either we will conform our lives to fit God's word, or we'll conform God's word to fit our lives. So either I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shape my life according to what God said in his word, or somehow I'm going to try to shape his word to fit what's going on in my life. And, and man, the second one just doesn't work. You have to conform your life to his word. Allow his, his word to show, shape you and mold you. That Allow the surgeon's scalpel to go deep inside of you, to cut you, and to make you who you're called to be. We need to surrender to him. We're going to do that as a church. We're always going to do that as a church. Like that, That's never going to change. We're going to be a New Testament church all the time. This is what the Bible says. This is what we believe. It's just that simple. Now, you. What about you? Are, are you going to be a New, New Testament believer? Are you going to be a New Testament follower of Jesus? Are you going to be a person that says, yes, I'm going to conform my life to the, the Word? And if not, if you say, you know what, I'd rather do something else, What's your plan B? Like, what are you going to do? Because, you know, if you're just going to do it your way, I don't know about you, but I make a lot of mistakes in life. So I don't want to do it my way. I, and, and a lot of people are like, I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to do a little Frank Sinatra song and sing it and live my life. I'm going to live my life. Good luck with that because we make a lot of mistakes. And then, you know, well, I follow in so-and-so or that person's life. or this. It's like, man, trust me, they're making a lot of mistakes. You don't want to follow them either. Well, I'll just, I'll just do what everybody else is doing. I'll just do what the world's doing. Man, that is, that is a recipe for disaster. You don't follow the world. You don't belong to this world. Okay? And, and so what are you going to, if, if I don't live according to God's word, what's, what am I going to do? Because I have to have a source for truth, right? I, I have to have something guiding my life. And, and if it's not the truth of God's word, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, if I'm not, following the truth, I'm following a lie, okay? And so I have to be super careful. I, I have, what's what's going to be your standard for truth? Like, this is true. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what the world says, the government says, my family says, you know, this is what is true. This is what God speaks. Here's 
something you can write down. The Bible must have first place in our lives. The Bible must have first place in our lives. It's like that's where we go to first. This is how we live life. You know, uh, I'm not going to listen to any other people, you know, no matter how smart they may be, because God has revealed himself to me through his word. And so it has to have the first place in my life. And I don't get to tamper with what God said. I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to cut some things out or add some things in. I don't get to tamper with this. One of my favorite um, pastors to listen to, and, and I, I enjoy listening to him in the morning, is Alistair Begg. And uh, he had a recent sermon. I'm just going to show you this clip. It's only uh, a minute long, so it's not very long. So I'm just going to let you turn your attention toward the screen and, and, um, and see what Alistair says about tampering with God's Word. That acknowledges that we are not free to tamper with Scripture. Why would I want to come up here and address these things this morning? only because of the Bible. We started, so we have to go. We're not free to tamper with the Bible. We're not at liberty to rewrite the Bible, to accommodate godless perspectives, whether it's a godless perspective on euthanasia or on abortion or on sexuality, whatever it might be, transgenderism. And in this arena right now, at this point in the, in the 21st century here in America, within the framework of church, whatever you want to call church, Big church, let everybody go in for the moment and think about this. The danger is an increasing danger that those who should know better are losing their convictions, not about sexual matters, but about the authority of the Bible. That is the issue. In all of these things, it is all from the Garden of Eden. The evil one came and said, did God really say? Did he really say that? They believed the lie and the rest followed. The same bullet is in his gun. Coming to the pastor and say, but wait a minute, pastor. Is that what it really means? Is that what he really said? And those who are in positions of responsibility need to face that. If we lose conviction about the authority of the Bible, if we then become uncertain about it, then we lose our voice. If we then in turn become indifferent to the issue, then we're in real trouble. said so we're in real trouble. How many of you wish I had a Scottish accent? I'd be so much easier to listen to, right? But he's right. Like, we don't get to tamper with this. It's the same trick that was in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? And we have to realize that, that what God says in his word is true. It is, it is yes and amen. And, and we follow it, and we follow it with love and with truth. A number of years ago, uh, the boys were, were really young. I think Mark was probably six or seven years old. I, I was going in for surgery. I'd never had surgery before. And so you know how the day before the anesthesiologist calls you and they go through everything and what's going to happen and are you allergic to anything? And so that, I got that call and, and uh, so they're like, this is what's going to happen. And so are you allergic to this? I'm like, I don't know. I've never had surgery before. Well, what about this? I don't know. What about this? I don't know. And, and it didn't help that I had just read online about somebody who died during a routine surgery. So, so, um, so I'm like, well, well, you know, what if I am allergic to one of these things? What, what would happen? He goes, well, we'll find out tomorrow. Click. <laughs> I'm like, dude. Bedside manner, really? Uh, so obviously the mind starts racing. And I mean, I knew I'd be okay, but it was just one of those things like, in case I don't make it, 
at family dinner tonight, and the boys were young, so we were around the table. It's like, I just want to let them know that I love them, and they need to be good for their mom, and, and uh, you know, I'll be cheering them on from heaven. You know, I'm just, I'm just going through this thing, you know, I, so I'm telling them this at dinner time, and they were young, so they're not having any of it, right? They're just like, whatever, Dad. Um, and so I'm going on, oh, I love you guys so much. And so Luke goes, hey, Dad, if you die, can I have your iPad? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I'm like, but I keep going on. And then Matthew goes, hey, wait, if you die, I want your watch. I'm like, my watch? All right, yeah, whatever, Matthew, you can have my watch. This guy over here, six, seven years old, dad, 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 I want your car. <laughs> I'm like, you're not going to drive for another 10 years, but yeah, you can have my car, right, whatever, you know, just... And I'm like, I'm like, all right, can we get back to the thing? And then Leslie goes, well, I have something I want. I'm like, really, honey? Seriously. <laughs> I expected that from the boys, but, but what do you want, Leslie? She goes, I want your Bible. I want the one that you highlight and that you write in. I want the one that you use every day because that's who you are. And it was a very precious moment. And uh, I have Bibles from my grandparents that I, they're my most cherished possession because I, I see things that they underlined or that they wrote in the margin or maybe some sermon notes that they had left in there. And I see what's important. To them. I mean, they are some of the most precious items that I have. And, and so I have, through the years, since that moment, because um, I fill up Bibles fast because of teaching and preaching and highlighting and writing. And as soon as it's, it fills up pretty full, I hand it to Leslie and I say, save that for one of our boys or one of our grandchildren because I, I want to pass it on. It's the most precious thing I can pass on. I, I have a friend who was a pastor. He passed away and his son isn't walking with God. But I know that his son, when his dad died, said, I want you this Bible. Like, he, so he even knows, like, like, there's something so precious about having the Bible of somebody that you know. And that's why I'm going to ask you, I, I love my iPad, I use it a lot, but I also write a lot, and, and I have a paper, a real, a real Bible, I guess you call it, but because I, I, I can't pass my iPad down, and even if I did, they just, they'll stop working someday, Right? This will last for generations. And I'm going to ask you to get a Bible, get a good Bible, buy, buy a good Bible with a leather cover and write in it and highlight it so that when you're no longer there, your kids will fight over this. Your grandkids will cherish this and fill it up and put it on a shelf and then fill another one up. Because it, this, this is something that is so beautiful and so precious and it's something to hand, to, to hand out. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the lobby. Just go out to the, um, the bookshelves. That before you walk in, there's Bibles there. They're free. You can go to Walmart and buy a Bible. You can go online and buy a Bible. But I encourage you to buy a good Bible and to highlight in it and write in it and pass that down because there's something precious about that. I love this quote. If you have a Bible that's falling apart, you'll have a life that's not. Right? <laughs> Just be in the Word, just like be in the Word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I want to tell you, what's beautiful about that is, yes, it lights our way, because what's next? I don't know, but we got the next step, and we're taking these next steps. And, 
and, and the, the path is, is, is bright. But what's beautiful about it, just, it doesn't just light brighten my path, it brightens the path all around me. It brightens the path for my family or anybody that I know or anywhere I go because the word of God is a light. We talk about prophetic declaration a lot, prophecy. And a lot of times we think of prophecy like Steve Sampson, who'll be here in a couple weeks. And, and Steve, it's kind of like reading your mail, right? He just knows things about you that, that there's no way to know except God reveals it to him. And that's, that's a way of, of doing prophecy. But did you know that most prophecy in God's word is just declaring God's word? It's not something like special revelation. It's just declaring the word of the Lord, declaring today that there's victory in the house because that's the word of the Lord, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's the word of the Lord. That's prophetic declaration. And so we need to be speaking the word of God over our lives, over our families, over our world that we live in. We need to be speaking God's word. And you're like, well, I don't even, I don't know where to start. Again, back in the lobby and the bookshelves, I have paper after paper I put together scriptures for healing and peace and getting rid of fear in your life and following Jesus and, and, and just victory. And, and so you can just take those. They're free. They're always out there. And just go through them and just say, okay. And you prophetically declare the word of the Lord. You speak the word of the Lord because there's, what does Hebrews 4 say? There's power. It's quick and powerful. It's alive. There's something that happens when we speak God's word. So I, I need to get God's word in my life. I need to hide it in my heart. I need to speak it from my mouth. It needs to be a part of my life. And then we need to spend time with God every day. We need to spend time in his word every day. And you say, I don't even know where to start. That's why we have devotionals out there on the welcome table. Take a devotional. And, and there's a scripture to begin every devotional and read that devotional. It'll take less than a minute. But then you'll have a verse. So go in your Bible, look at that verse, and highlight that verse. Maybe write down something that, that's speaking to you from that verse. And so you can do that. That's one way to do it. Um, out in the lobby as well, on the welcome table, I, I, I put my new favorite um, way to study the Bible. It's called the Hear Bible Study, H-E-A-R. And um, so you just get your Bible, you get a highlighter, and you just you go at it. You highlight a passage, so maybe there's something from a sermon or, or from the devotional, you just highlight the passage, you let God speak to you, you explain what that passage means to you, then you apply it to your life, and then you respond. This is how I'm going to respond to God's Word. So let me just show you a picture. So I did that this week with the sermon, and so this is my uh, journaling. It'll come up on the screen, and it's just my notes from Hebrews 4.12. This is what I've learned from it, and so and someday my kids will have things from every passage I've ever preached on or studied or anything, because it's like I want them to have these things, and, and this is what God's speaking, and you can, you can do that. So uh, it's very simple. You, you, you don't have to know a lot about the Bible. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come, and you're going to have a question. You're going to read something and be like, that doesn't make sense, or that's just weird, or what does that mean? And, and so um, I want to let you know, you can ask questions anytime. Anybody that you see up front has gone to Bible school, been trained in God's Word, they can answer questions. I can answer questions. I've studied the Bible my whole life. If I don't know the answer, um, I, there's a lot of answers I don't know, I'll be honest. But, but I'll try to help the best that I can. Um, and, and here's the thing. I have a doctor and I have a chiropractor, and they tell me this all the time. When you have a problem, don't Google it. Come to me, right? <laughs> You're, you're messing everything up when you start Googling your symptoms. 
and don't, don't confuse your Google for my medical degree, okay? You know, don't, don't confuse the two. And, and, and I just want to say that too. It's like, you can look a lot of this stuff up online, but there's a lot of junk online. And so if you have a question, don't hesitate to ask. Nothing is too simple, nothing's too hard. And, and we can even work through it together. And so I want you to know that we're here for you as you study God's Word, because God's Word speaks to our lives. It's how we live our lives, and we need to know that. One early church father said this. It'll be on the screen. I love this. The Bible is like a mighty river. No theologian will ever touch bottom, but anyone can come to the shore and drink. You know, I, I, that's so true. Like I said, I've studied the Bible my whole life. The more I study, the more I realize, I don't know. There's so much I don't know. But you and I can go every day and drink from the shore. I can go every day to the, to, to the Bible, to the Word, and get something from I can come every Sunday and re- receive something from the Lord. I don't have to be wise or smart or study. I, just, I can just learn from God's Word because He speaks to us through His Word. We're so blessed to have Bibles. Like I said, you could go to Walmart right now and buy a Bible. You can go out to the lobby, just take a Bible. There's Bibles everywhere. I have an entire wall, if you ever come to my office, a wall of Bibles. I study Bibles, different translations of Bibles is the Bible I'm using right now, but I have all these other Bibles on the wall. We are blessed to have Bibles. There are so many people around the world that don't even have a Bible in the language that they speak. And we're, we're working on that. Whitcliffe Translators Seed Company that works with Whitcliffe, they're on a pace within the next probably 10 years to have every tribe and tongue have the Bible in their own language. Imagine that, in the next 10 years. Jesus said, when the gospel is preached to all mankind, then the return will happen. We're getting close. We're getting close. But my brother-in-law worked for the Seeds Company uh, his whole adult life. He was a missionary in Africa for forever. And um, so he was always helping to translate Bibles into new tribes and new tongues and new languages. And, and um, he said there was nothing like giving that Bible to that tribe for the first time. Um, it was like a whole day celebration. We have Bibles, like we have Bibles everywhere. It doesn't seem to be a big deal, but I want to tell you, it, it changes everything when you get the Word of God. So there's actually a short video I'm going to have you watch, and um, uh, Brenton Brown, who's a worship leader, we sing a lot of his songs here in church. He's talking about it, and then he sings a song, and you can see the people's joy when they receive their Bible for the first time. Take a, take a look at this real quick. In June of 2012, the Gamma people got the Bible translated in their own language for the first time. We almost take for granted that um, we experience when God speaks through his scriptures that the creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, the almighty God, the supreme being, is talking to us through these scriptures. It's quite hard not to be stirred by it because you get to see on the faces of the Gamma people experiencing this for the first time, not just the acknowledgement of the truth of the scriptures, that ring of authority, the ring of heaven that God's truth has, but then uh, also the hope that this Lord of the heavens and the earth, the maker of the universe, the one who made us and made our families, made all that we see around us is actually speaking to us right now, and that he's taken special care to address us through these scriptures, that he's taken special care to put together this extraordinary book we call the Bible and to not just um, communicate truth to us, but to communicate it um, every time we read it. Uh, It's living, it's powerful, it's able to change us, and uh, he's able to change us. And it's efforts like this by the Seed Company that make me just applaud them and cheer them on. 
Go see Coverly. Go Bible Translators. We know what you're doing is not easy. We know what you're doing can be difficult at times and time-consuming, but go for it. Don't stop. My brother-in-law, Steve, has done this, I don't know how many times, and he said there's nothing like it when you bring the Word of God to a people for the first time. It's just a day of celebration. They can't put the Bible down. They can't stop cheering and worshiping. 
That's powerful. We take it for granted too much. But Jesus said, as it said in the song as they were singing, heaven and earth will fade away. Everything's going to pass away. What did Jesus say? My word remains forever. I don't know about you, but I don't want to base my life on something that is fading or passing away. I want to base my life on, on something that lasts forever. And everything we've talked about today, it's not just about a book. It's about the author of the book. See, we get to know the author through the book. You get to know God. You get to know Jesus. You get to know the Holy Spirit. You get to know him through this book. And, and, and that's why we're a New Testament church. And that's why I want to be a New Testament person. Because I want to live my life according to this book as I live in relationship with to the author. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me today. And let's just have a prayer of surrender. Have a prayer of commitment. To God, to his word. We've been talking about what's next in our life. You know, whatever's next in your life, man, it's in his word. Like whatever you need, it's in his word. You need to know what the next step is. It's right here. We got it. It's for us. And so as I pray today, I'm just going to ask you to surrender your heart to Jesus fresh and new. God, thank you that you didn't leave your creation just to guess who you were or what you were like or what you wanted us to know, but God, you gave us your word. And we are forever grateful. God, we will be a church that follows your word and Lord, that our hearts would be sensitive to you and Lord, that we would surrender to your word, to your will, to your way that we would be led by nothing else but your word. It would have first place in our life, God. Thank you for the word. Thank you for loving us so much that you wanted us to know your heart. God, I just pray that we would be men and women of your word this week. Lord, that we wouldn't allow our lives to be dictated by what's next on the agenda or what we see on TV or what we hear on the radio or how we feel, but Lord, that we would surrender to your word this week, every week, Lord. And again, God, thank you um, for a church family that receives your word so well and honors your word. And um, again, God, thank you for the word that found good ground in our hearts. And Lord, may we, may we dive deeper into your word this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So out in the lobby, there's all those helps for you. All the things that have all the scriptures, they're out uh, on the bookshelves. Bibles are on the bookshelves. Uh, on the welcome table, there's devotionals. That's a great way to study God's Word. Uh, how to study God's Word with the here Bible study method. That's out there. It explains how to do it step by step. All that's out there. And Maybe you're ready to take a deeper dive. College classes start this week. I'm teaching a class on New Testament. Luke's teaching a class on the Old Testament. Um, there's other classes that are happening. Um, and you say, you know what, I want to take a deeper dive. Um, I, I'm just going to encourage you to sign up for a class and go deeper. We have a college where we train people for ministry. And so if you want to do that, you can do that. 
One thing that I, I talk about and I don't talk about a lot is, is my book, Simple Bible, and I know we give that away at the church, but if you don't have a copy, I want you to go ask for a copy in the lobby. We, we have a, a number of copies left for today, but I'm getting more in this week. And God put it in my heart to write just a short chapter on every book of the Bible so that you can know the heart of God in his word. And so you're like, I don't know where to start in the Bible. Take the book. We want you to have it. It's, it's our gift to you. So if you've never got that, just grab it out there in the lobby. We'll have more in the weeks to come. But I want you to have that. Um, I am very excited. Steve Sampson will be with us in two weeks. And uh, so uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, we'll do a Saturday night service, Sunday morning service like this. And we'll do a Sunday night service. So there'll be three services with Steve Sampson in a couple weeks. Uh, one more thing before we go and receive the blessing of the Lord. I've actually been sick all week. Leslie's still sick. Please pray for her. Um, she needs to get over. She hasn't been sick. She never gets sick, and she's super sick. So we want to pray for Leslie. Um, and, uh, um, but I missed so much time last year because of COVID. I'm like, if I can stand up, I'm going to preach kind of thing. So, um, so, we're gonna, so I'm actually going to sneak out because I don't know if I'm contagious still or not. But I'm going to sneak out, and I've asked Mark, uh, one of our elders, to, to pray. And, and it's so important. I, if you have any questions today, come up front, talk to Mark. If you need prayer today, come up and, and get prayed for today. You should never leave with the same burdens, the same cares, the same questions that you walked in with. Like you came to this house. It was declared today that, that there's victory in the house. And so if you need victory, if you need somebody to pray for you, don't leave without coming down to be prayed for. Mark will stay with here with as long as he needs to and, and pray with as many people as, as, as he can today. So don't leave without getting prayed for today, okay?